This is The Thirst Tank, presented by Trap Brewing Company. There's, there's definitely a, a, a huge interest in the, in the values and the ideals that are espoused um, at the monastery. Um, so I think there is a want and a need for that. Now, whether that translates into people signing up for what is, let's be honest, a, a challenging life. Uh, okay, you don't have to worry about paying your electric bill, you know, um, but living in community with um, people that you don't know, <laughs> okay, you'll get to know them, but that is a challenge in itself. Um, they work six days a week. Um, they pray seven days a week. Um, it's a, a, a rigid life. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Thirst Time, the show that takes a deep dive into the careers and journeys of some of the most creative minds in the craft beer industry today. Today's guest, we have something a little different for you. We have Peter Grady, who is the brewery manager of Tint Meadow. Now, if you don't know who Tint Meadow are, they are Britain's only trapeze brewery and one of only 10, I think, now in the world. So fascinating. So many questions. We barely even talk about beer. Uh, get lost in the faith of what the monks practice, how Peter came to be there. And of course, we do talk a little bit about the beer as well. So yeah, let's get into it. You are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents the Thirst Time. And this is our interview with Peter Grady. Yeah, I mean, I've always sort of been around it, you know, in in, in different terms. My, my brother in particular was an influence because he, you know, he's two years older than me, moved down to London after university, got into that sort of um, early days of the the Bermondsey Beer Mile, that kind of, um, the beginnings of that. And, and, and I mean, that's so commercialised now. Yeah. I'd imagine it's probably getting a bit like that in Manchester now as well. Well, yeah. Or we, we passed yeah, that point even. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's, there's a few of us around now. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and that's not to, 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 to talk down about that or anything, not at all. I, I'm, I'm not, I don't think of it in that way, but he was always um, getting excited about beer um, and different, different bit. I remember the Colonel in particular, who was really sort of obsessed, still is, <laughs> with the Colonel Brewery yeah. and the guys in there. And the fact that you could chat to them in the tap room and that. Um, and, and, and this idea that they hadn't gotten really big and really commercialised and they just wanted to enjoy themselves and, and, and make good beer and the beer that they wanted to, to make. Um, so I was always sort of around that and aware of that. Um, but I wouldn't say... Um, I more joined Tint Meadow because of the monastery aspect mm-hmm. than the beer aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've gotten really into my beer since yeah. I joined it. Um, but I was looking more at the benefits of working there, <laughs> like yeah. we've been discussing, <laughs> uh, in terms of the the quiet nature of, the, of and the calm and the just the really the lack of stress and, and 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 I guess what it is is not a complete lack of stress but it's any stress there is you put on yourself mm-hmm. it's not put on you by other people 
um, you know, Father Peter, who's the superior there, wouldn't turn around and be like, why didn't you do this yesterday? You need to get this done. Not at all. Uh, in fact, I've had um, experiences there when I've been staying late, you know, to seven, eight in the evening, which would be pretty, um, when I worked as an accountant, that would be a pretty standard day. And one of the brothers would come in, you know, they go to bed um, after their final prayers, they finish eight o'clock-ish. Um, one of the brothers would come in and say, are you still here? You shouldn't be here, go home. You know? So nice. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's just really refreshing. Yeah, and, and that makes you want to work harder and work more. I, in my experience, that's really yeah. It's really interesting to think of that because I mean, we're going to dive into your story, but before yeah. we, we were recording, you were talking about how you'd lived in America. Yeah, and that that, that American ideal of working yes. is just to work yourself to the bone. Yeah, uh, without yeah, the balance of life yeah. or any, and it's any expected. Yeah, and it's yeah. expected. You won't to be the reward- point of punishment yeah, if, you, yeah. if, if you don't do it. Yeah. You won't be rewarded for it because no. it's just expected. Whereas I would say in this country, it, it, there is an expectation, and again, I talk about the financial services field because that's what I, I have experience of. There is an expectation to a degree, but then there is also reward behind that. Okay, if you do stay late, you yeah. know, just a pat on the back, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, whereas I would say in America, there's not even that. <laughs> you know, Good it's just America. like you, you stay, do you work till midnight? Well, that's what you have to do. See you yeah. tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I have friends in uh, in New York and I was telling mm. them about like someone working a 60 hour week and he was like, yeah, that's nothing, man. What yeah, you, exactly. Why, why is anyone even complaining about that? You know, like, it, right? it blew um, their mind when I spoke to people in America and said, I only do 40 hours a week in, in England in, in financial services. I mean, that was supposedly only do 40, but they couldn't, they couldn't get their minds around that, you yeah. know, the concepts of it. Well, it's so, so this journey for you, Peter, is so fascinating because yeah, you literally experienced the two extremes, extremes <laughs> yeah. of, of that work-life balance. Um, and the other thing I just want to pick up on there, cause it, it, it just came, came into my brain as you were saying it with the kernel. The Colonel is probably the closest thing to a secular trapeze brewery I can think of. <laughs> it's an interesting like, point, yeah. Evan, you know, in, within the industry, you know, I don't know him very well, but mm-hmm. I have lots of friends. And actually James, uh, who's just been on the podcast, he did a little stint there. And when mm-hmm. he went there, it's this kind of egalitarian system. Right. Um, very much like care about you as an individual. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. Evan has got like, he's just got a, a respect by the staff, but without kicking doors down or anything like that. Very yeah, kind yeah. of peaceful, calm guy. Yeah. That's built something beautiful. And they don't have they're not the branding's the same, all that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, when Simplicity. you just said it then I was like, that is yeah. so fascinating because they they're probably like a secular trip. Yeah, yeah. And and that one of the when you look at our packaging, it's very um simple and um that is a conscious decision. Um, it's all been uh, to an extent designed by the community by the the brothers and simplicity is one of their key values in the Cistercian um, life Um, might be worth just explaining because we'll use these different terms and and a lot of people obviously don't understand them and and that's fine you know I'm happy to explain it and quite often when I do talk um, like tastings or or brewery tours and that sort of thing um you can do one and you get 90% of the questions are about the beer and tell me about the brewing process and that. And you can do other ones and, and 90% of the questions are about the monastery and the monks Absolutely. and the way of life. And, and I hope that we're going to do about a 50-50 Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so so um, Mount St. Bernard Abbey is a, a Trappist Abbey. 
And what that means is it's a specific branch of the Cistercians. So we are technically uh, OCSO. That's the Order of Cistercians of the Strict Observance. Uh, people can look that up, obviously, for themselves, how much history they want to. But the the key to that is uh, basically um, there was a movement in Europe uh, where in the 19th century and where some of the Cistercian brothers thought that they weren't being true enough or strict enough to the original uh, vision of their founding. Uh, so they reformed into a stricter version, mm-hmm. the strict observance, uh, and that started at La Trappe, um, which is obviously a very famous brewery now in its own right. And so all the other monasteries that followed that became known as Trappists. Right. Following okay. on from so La Trappe. Trap is the original. Exactly. Every, right. Exactly. Uh, and now there is a movement within the Trappists to start talking about themselves like, once again as Cistercians. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is just, you know, a, a broader movement in the church towards greater sort of conciliation, I suppose. Um, we, you know, 200 years ago, you were in a position, even 50 or 60 years ago, where you had plenty of monks. And these lots and lots of different orders, um, but now we're running short on monks. So these old, really sort of solid delineations between I'm a Trappist, I'm a Cistercian, that, you know, that doesn't, th- those barriers are coming down mm-hmm. a bit and, and it's much more sort of um, conciliatory, more inclusive. So we're now, uh, and again, this is all <clears throat> what the brothers tell me. Now they're, they're calling themselves Cistercians more. Obviously, we refer to ourselves as Trappists because we make beer yeah. and everyone knows what Trappist beer is. Yeah, That's a registered, authentic Trappist product is a, a registered trademark um, throughout the world. But Cistercians, you know, um, aren't renowned for making beer, whereas Trappists yeah. are. So that's why we talk about Trappists. Uh, but it's kind of important to uh, to know that we're, we're both, essentially. Yeah. Um, and they... Uh, when we talk about it being strict observance, they start their day, uh, get up at 3.15 in the morning. First prayers are at 3.30 in the morning. Um, you pray seven times a day uh, and then you go to bed. The great silence, they call it, starts 8pm after the last prayers of the day. Uh, they go to bed. Um, obviously, it depends on the particular monk, but any time between sort of eight, nine, mm-hmm. and then back up again the next day. The and silence, that's such a beautiful way of Yeah, because a lot of people think that, <laughs> that they don't talk, they have a vow of silence, and that's not true. Um, it was until Vatican II um, in the 1960s, but, uh, and um, Father Anselm, who is in his 90s now, he's one of the older ones, he's only the third oldest, two older than <laughs> at the monastery at the moment. He, he's told me about that and how they used to have a sign language. Um, but he said, it, you know, it did lead to, t- to some tensions or misunderstandings sometime because you can't just explain yourself fully. Yeah. Um, so now um, they speak to each other, to outsiders, to, um, but they eschew any small frivolous talk. Yeah. Um, St. Benedict, who wrote the rule um, that the Cistercian spirituality is, is based upon, said that everything should be in moderation. Mm-hmm. So even talking is in moderation. Uh a lot of people say, oh, I can't believe monks drink. Yes, they drink in moderation. Yeah, um, They eat very good food in moderation, mm-hmm. you know. Um, that's uh, and, and that's a very 21st century, very relevant yeah. <laughs> thing as well, especially when we talk about beer. They're a great reflection of kind of humanity. Like, so reading the article and watching a few documentaries before this interview, 
just this sense of, yeah, everything's moving around them and they're just so still in what they kind of do. And we can dive more into the, the, in every dimension, but I, I'm going to, I'm going to put the spotlight on you because <laughs> it's, it's really fascinating. So technically you're, you're a secular kind of member of the, the, the party there. So you're, yes, you're not so part not of the faith, <clears throat> but you, you are the brewery manager for the... No, so I was raised Roman Catholic. Yeah. Um, I tend to tell people if they ask, um, that I think I'm a very bad Catholic, um, but then I feel guilty about it. So I don't know if that (laughs) makes me a very good Catholic. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of how I think about it. Uh, And I I think anyone that's been raised Catholic, particularly Irish Catholic as I was, um, would appreciate that (laughs) remark. Um, So I have an understanding of it. I had an uncle um, who um, took, uh, went into religious order himself um, and it wasn't something that was unusual to me. Yeah. I grew up in the church around, uh, I was an altar server. I knew of people who were priests, um, brothers, you know, monks, uh, nuns even. Okay. Um, in my family and family friends and that sort of thing. So it wasn't anything that was unusual to me. Um, so this makes it all the more interesting in the journey that you've taken then that you kind of end up back in this, yeah, this place of yeah. where you kind of started. And I, and I suppose from a personal point of view, I'm not going to obviously delve too far into my own spirituality. That's what people are listening for. Yeah. But um, as as much as I try and get away from the church, I always seem to end up back there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so there's obviously something there calling to me. So can we dive into a little bit more about that then? So when we were just talking earlier, you you, you went out to Colorado but and, and you yep. worked in um, bourbon for a little bit in, yep. in distilling. So, and you mentioned that beer was kind of this fascination um, and, and you know, the whirlwind that was, co- well, not whirlwind, yeah. <laughs> maybe dead stop in, in mm-hmm. life that became COVID kind of threw a lot of, I guess it threw everyone's choices up in the air and what you were going to do and how you were going to do it. And yeah. you were saying that you'd kind of gone into restaurants, you yeah. went back to the UK, gone into restaurants. So how how did it end up that you ended up yeah. at, the, at the Abbey? So I was working, um, I was a bar manager um, in a restaurant, um, bar, uh, it was a bar restaurant, uh, American themed. Um, so I used to run uh, bars at, at various sites uh, across the Midlands and um, that sort of like you say just hit a, a, a brick wall didn't mm-hmm. it as we all remember in um, March um, getting on for three years ago now isn't it it's, it's crazy, crazy. It's so <laughs> to crazy. try and place it and um, I lost my job uh, I'm sure many people did and I came back just as a waiter uh, you know, needs must. I'm not above that. I did my 12 weeks at Tesco, like so many people. Yeah. Uh, standing, I think they'd, uh, obviously this is a podcast you won't be able to tell, but I think basically they lined everyone up who came as a, a temp and looked at me and said, right, well, you're the biggest, scariest looking, so you can be on the door. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I stood on the door from seven till four, six days a week, I think it was. Wow. Just saying, no, yeah, can you wait, please, sir? Yeah, <laughs> lots of that. Uh, but, you know, it needs must. Uh, and then we reopened. I went back as a waiter for, I think, I can't remember how long it was now, but maybe a couple of months. And, and all the while I was looking for a job. And um, 
that just popped up on, uh, I think it was a government website, you know, the gov.uk jobs, said, um, I think, brewery administrator, I think it said, uh, Mount St. Bernard Abbey. And uh, I just thought that looked so interesting. And there wasn't really much detail on it. Said um, general duties, um, it mainly sounded office-based. Uh, I thought that sounds fine to me. Like I say, I was I was more attracted at the time to the the monastery element yeah. rather than the, the particular fact it was it was in a brewery or that brewery. Um, and was it interesting to you because of your upbringing? Things did it, or was it just the fact that just this, this feels so different to everything that's going on right now? I, th- I think really it was about um, it's so different from anything I'd done. Even before COVID happened, um, I was on the lookout for something else. Mm-hmm. I kind of decided, I, I really enjoyed working in, in bars, um, but I didn't see a sort of future. I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. Um, so I was kind of starting to look elsewhere anyway, f- trying to figure out what I might want to do. And when I saw that and I thought, that just looks so interesting. And actually I was, um, I had just moved to uh, Leicestershire because uh, I'd moved in with my um, girlfriend. Um, so I was looking for something a bit closer, um, and it just, just seemed to be worth exploring. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then, I, so I applied and, uh, and they got hundreds of applications. They said afterwards, and I got an interview, but they interviewed maybe a dozen people, they said, and I came to the interview and, and <clears throat> it was in the monastery itself, long table like this, we sat at in the dining room, uh, three monks on the other end. Uh, Father Joseph, who was the abbot, uh, Father Matthias, the brewer, and Brother Robert, who was sort of um, the brewery brewery manager, Mm -hmm. the admin guy, really, at that time. Uh, And we had an interview there for an hour and then walked down and saw the brewery. And one of the reasons I've been told afterwards that I managed to secure the job was because when we walked down to the brewery, so we were actually in the guest house end, and it's a huge site, and we walked through the uh, monastery itself to get to the brewery. And I was the only one who went on that walk that I said hello to the monks. I spoke to uh, Father Joseph as we went, discussing things, asking questions, that sort of thing. Everyone else just kind of in sort of coward in, in you know, wow. silence, maybe unaware of, you know, what what they could or yeah. say. And And I think that's a really key thing that we live in a world now where it's not well known what monks are, yeah. what they do. Um, and people can have an idea of them, um, whether good or bad. Um, but at the end of the day, they're, they're just regular people like mm-hmm. you and I. Okay, they've chosen a particular path in their life, whatever you think of that from a, um, either a secular or a religious point of view. But they're, they're just people who you can interact with, yeah. you know? Uh, and okay, I, I, when I, even today, I'll, I'll go into the cloister and you know, I don't go in there if I don't have to, but if I, if I have to, I'll go in and, and there's certain monks I'll see, I'll say hello to. Um, I might just nod my head. Um, there's other ones who'll stop, they'll want to chat, they'll want to know what's going on in the brewery. And there's others who just stay in their room 90% of the day, you know, just come out to go to church. Um, so the, even within the brothers, that are, there's 17 in the community at the moment, um, and that does fluctuate. Um, but the 
even within that 17, there's big differences mm-hmm. between how connected they are to the outside world or to even the community itself. Yeah. Um, and that's something that's really interesting. Um, but I think, yeah, I I wasn't intimidated by it in a way. And, and Father Mateus did say to me shortly after starting, he said that there are people who live up the road from a monastery uh, who know more about the service of the moon than they do about what goes on in a monastery. And I thought that's very apt yeah. um, sort of quotation because even today I'll go and do a, uh, I did a food festival with Melton Mowbray last month and so many people would come up and say, oh, Mount St. Bernard Abbey, I live up the road from there. I didn't know you made beer and this sort of thing. Um, uh, or, oh, I haven't been up there for 30, 40 years. Is it still there? You know, and it's like, yeah, it's is still it, there. <laughs> is it a question of intimidation or is it just one of lack of intrigue or... I don't think it's lack of intrigue because when you start talking to people about it, they're very fascinated by it. (laughs) Absolutely fascinated. And and I still am fascinated by it. You know, I spend a lot of... um, I've recently been given a book by one of the brothers, Father uh, Terence. It's written by a French monk, André Louf, and it's about Cistercian spirituality. And and I think it's absolutely fascinating. It gives you an insight into... um, the experience of someone who goes into one of these communities. He was a Mondicat, um, which is an, a, um, they actually make beer um, in France, uh, Travers Monastery there. Uh, he talks about a novice's experience when they enter the monastery through to becoming a professed monk, which takes five years, mm-hmm. five or six years. Um, and that's really fascinating. So it fascinates me. And Absolutely. I know a lot about it, you know, compared to the average person. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know... I don't think there's that connection on a daily basis that obviously even 30, 40 years ago there would have been because more people went to church, um, more people were aware of... Um, when we people speak today, they speak about spirituality, um, but in a more general term, whereas I think previously, obviously, people were more connected to a specific faith or a specific church yeah. uh, and, and understood that more. Um, whereas now people talk about spirituality in a more sort of all-encompassing, you know, um, way. Um, and that, uh, you know, another one we get regularly when we talk about monks is people think immediately seem to think that they're Buddhist monks. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Which obviously isn't the case. And, and It's really, it's so interesting. It's, and I, I, I will anyone to uh, or encourage anyone to go and read the uh, the Mark Dredge article that he did for yes. Good Beer Hunting, and we were talking about it a little bit because I, th- I think that one there's just beautiful photography on there, which really captures. I feel like I mean I haven't been to the Abbey, but it, it captures something of, of the sense of spirituality and stillness, but also just the whole article is really interesting because it's kind of his experience. I think he lived there for like five or six days. He did, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, and worked yeah. in the, in the, so kind of yeah. got a first-hand experience and he kind of talked a little bit about how he went in there, his kind of day-to-day, he was thinking about deadlines of other things that mm-hmm. he had on and all this and that kind of slowly ebbed out of him yeah. until yeah. until there was, a, I guess, a, a tranquilness because he was just kind of doing the same thing ritualistically every day. Yeah. And within that, it's almost this great freedom when you don't need to think about everything else because you're just kind of locked into exactly what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. And, and don't think I don't feel like that some yeah. days, you know. <laughs> I think, oh, I just want to stay here tonight. You yeah. know? 
Um, and, and I think that does attract a lot of people to the place. And, and we have a guest house. It's closed at the moment for um, renovation, actually. Um, but I hope that hopefully that will reopen next year. And, and, you know, we've got 25 bedrooms there. People regularly come. We don't charge. That's part of the... Um, the brother's mission to welcome guests, one and all. You know, you don't have to be religious. That's so fascinating. Um, and the purpose of that is just to give an insight into their day-to-day lives or, or just... To give people a, a rest, a break from the world, you know. Wow. Um, obviously, people are encouraged to attend some of the services. You can't yeah. in, you can't attend all of them. Um, the early morning ones are just for the monks. Uh, but... And you can meet with some of the brothers, the fathers in, in the guest house, you know, if you want to. Um, or you can um, just have some peace and quiet. You know, we've got beautiful grounds to wander around, a gift shop, buy some books. Yeah. You know, you, your food is provided. It's obviously we ask for donations to keep the place going. And we are lucky that generally it does wipe its face. We don't lose money on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you, you, and it's, it's been full um, prior to COVID. Um, it was full all the time. We we only opened actually for a small part before we closed again for renovations, but I think it was maybe six weeks. So that's six weeks we're at full capacity, you know. Amazing. Um, and we're really keen to get that open again because there's a definite want and need for that. And, and I've done that myself yeah. before I even um, joined, and that's something worth saying. Maybe that's why I was attracted to the job as well. Is, um, I went following a sort of uh, relationship breakdown Um this would have been uh, five years ago. I um, after I came back from America, and I went to a monastery. It's called Belmont Abbey in Herefordshire, and I spent a week there. And uh, you know, no phone signal, no computer to be checking emails, um, and it was just absolutely. I mean, I suppose to some people that's a hellish idea, but <laughs> I, I've found it absolutely invigorating. Really, raised why, my spirits. Why, that's really interesting. Why? Yeah. Why was that on your? Um, radar of even thinking about doing that it's in a documentary about it was called meditations from the monastery they did a three-part series on bbc4 mm-hmm. maybe the year or two before that i noticed it was repeat last year actually and they visited belmont uh i think doy abbey um and plus garden in scotland and just spend an hour that's what they call slow tv mm-hmm. you know just spend an hour uh, across the program, just filming the monks and their various daily tasks, work, prayer, you know, so on. Um, and that was in my mind. I thought, yeah, I just want to go and get away for it for a week. And, and I'll, you know, really always remember that experience. I haven't had a chance to go back because of obviously all the things that happened in the, in the meantime. Um, but that was an attraction when I saw there was a job there. Okay, that makes a lot more yeah, sense. Yeah, It feels like it's on your radar to, yes, to pick up. When yeah. you see that word, it's like, okay, that's 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 a point of intrigue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I lived in the monastery um, with the monks during that week. So I wasn't in the guest house. Um, if you can, obviously different monasteries have different policies, but at Belmont, if you're going to attend all the services... Um, then you can live in the monastery and dine with the the brothers and, wow. and so that was really fascinating um and yeah it always it always stayed on my mind um definitely well it really is the polar opposite of modern day existence now isn't it like mm. that that kind of yeah and and they exist um well that I'll use the name of the film outside of the city yeah but very much in the world 
Um, the papers are delivered daily. Um, they keep correspondence with, you know, friends and family and people regularly every day, you know, email, call, write in with prayer requests. Um, they pray for, you know, I suppose Ukraine is a big one mm -hmm. at the moment, uh, but not just that, you know, end of, of all wars really. And they, so to to know what to pray for, they have to know what's going on in the yeah, world. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. So, so there's an element of staying in touch, but also just, I guess it's just the attention they can give things. I, I feel yeah, like modern yeah. day is such a distraction. I mean, I'm yes. constantly distracted. For, for me, I have a short attention span anyway, so there's, there's <laughs> yeah. just constant distraction yeah. of, of yeah. many different things, but they seem to maintain attention. And that's, Yeah, focus, that's yeah. attention, yeah, that's it, absolutely. Which I guess, <laughs> it's so funny, this is probably the longest time uh, I've done a podcast without actually talking about beer, really. really. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Into that. You are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents the First Time, and this is our interview with Peter Grady. Before... They started the brewery. It was actually a dairy farm, wasn't it? Yes, correct. Yeah. Um, and it was an industry that was just getting squeezed and squeezed and became yep. impossible to... Because they, they still need to... The money that comes in, I mean, you can better explain it than me, That that's used to finance the monastery. Yes. Um, just the day-to-day, -day, I guess, the... Um, repairs and all. It's a, it's a huge... Just the living. The yeah. living. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's a lot. And... And then, but they're a registered charity as well. So any money on top of that would go to charities, I guess. That they so we, so we, we're, we are a charity and then we also give to charity. Okay. So yes, the, the monastery, the brothers uh, operate on uh, the principle of aura et labora, and that's prayer and work. And the work is to support the community. The idea is you're not relying on charity yourself um so the main thing as part of the Cistercian Trappist tradition um that they did ever since they came in 1835 is they had a herd of dairy cows the vegetarians um that's part of uh, being a, a Trappist um so they didn't farm them for meat or anything but um they would obviously use the milk themselves and then sell the rest make some butter some some cheese um, but really, for the last few years of that, um, it, it not only was it not making money, but it was losing money. Mm -hmm. um, and that was obviously a really difficult decision to end something, a way of life, really. Yeah, um, there's a beautiful little bit in that article that says that the the the, the monks, they loved the cows so much. It was yeah. like an absolute horrendous to, to have to let them go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was like part of their family, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it fit into their, their way of life, early morning milking and, and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Not a problem, obviously, when you're getting up so early. And um, I think as well, ending the tradition that had been going on for so long. But in that area, I think uh, I was told there was something like 11 dairy farms within a 10-mile radius. And now there's two. Yeah. You know, most of the ones, uh, most of the farms around there that still exist have, have pivoted you know, across the road, the guys there, um, they uh, fatten calves now. So um, they don't do any milking. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's just emblematic of, yeah, the whole industry. Um, you, it's just so hard. 
you know, the amount of profit you can make off a litre of beer versus a litre of milk. It's very different. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So the, the brewery has, you know, without going into specifics, we make, even when the, the dairy was making a good profit, we make certainly 10 times that in a year. Yeah. So it's with, I would say, less effort as well, mm. <laughs> really, when you think about it. Yeah, the energy. I mean, you know, James, who was here the other week, we we spoke a lot about sustainability in beer yeah, and, yeah. And, and culture and stuff. But yeah, the energy to get a pint of milk mm. and, and for someone like us to, to pay a pound for it at the shop yeah, or something yeah. like that. It's just insane. It's ridiculous, <laughs> it's isn't so, it? It's ridiculous. It's so cheap, it's insane. Yeah. Anyway, we won't get distracted yeah, by let's that. Not get yeah. into that but. <laughs> so yeah, they, they took they, they deviated into something different. Yeah, so the twenty twelve they took that decision that the um, dairy farm was closed, cows were sold off. Uh, and really it, it sits there very similar to how it was left now. Um which now we're, we're starting to get a bit more uh, money is something we'll look at because it'd be nice. Certainly the brothers would appreciate some revitalization because mm-hmm. um, it is a little bit sad to see the farmyard becoming sort of run down. Um, but the there was a hiatus then really while they decided uh, what to do next, period of about five years. And that in... It might seem like a long time, but in monastic terms, that's actually very short. I always tell people if they chase me on emails and things that we think um, differently about time. A much more eternal concept uh, in the in the monastery. Uh, so there was no rush on these things. That there was a lot of wow. um, thought and prayer and, and consideration before a decision I was taken. Love that. That's so cool. Yeah, uh, and that's something that since I started there. At first, you know, coming from fast-paced, from financial services, from, um, I was in the Navy, from um, restaurants, bars, you know, everything is like, move, 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 push, push, push. And I realised quite quickly that that's not how things were done and that actually I couldn't bring the community up to my speed. I had to go down to their speed and that's been, it took a little while to get used to. Uh, three or four months, you know, to settle in. But that was something that actually, once you got down there, you thought, oh, actually, this is really where we should all be. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there's times where you have to, you know, put your, your foot down and, and get on with certain tasks. But generally, you know, I had it explained to me quite early on, well, there's nothing that can't wait until tomorrow. <laughs> and and that's a nice, nice way of, of thinking about it. Um, so the decision was taken then to start a brewery and um other things were considered the one that pops to my mind is uh, ice cream um, yeah was considered um uh but the links with the trappist monasteries in belgium the netherlands in particular these great trappist houses um with fantastic breweries uh you know your vesmar your vesvlater and your chimay uh, La Trappe, you know, they're all, all fantastic. Um, that was really key. Mm-hmm. So a number of the community went over and visited um, and really used the expertise of these these guys um, in de- first developing recipe, and that was done on small kit. 
uh, I think it was a 30-litre grain father. We've still got that, actually. You know, fermentation buckets in the old farm office. Um, and then the commissioning and installation of the brew house. Um, we were very lucky to get a um, donation, very generous donation from a friend of Brother George, who sadly passed away last month. Um, and he donated the money for all of the brewery installation. Wow. It was it was a huge, huge amount of money. Very, very generous. And that's documented in the film. And they brought really top of the range kit. Um, you wouldn't find, I'd be very surprised if you find another brewery our size with the level of kit that we've got, mm-hmm. just because you wouldn't do it. It doesn't yeah. make economic sense if you were, if you were running it as a purely commercial um, business, you wouldn't spend the amount of money on that kind of kit to start out with. Yeah. Uh, and that the main uh, reasoning behind that is that the, it's a, an, as automated the brew house as you can get um, so the brothers could run it themselves. And, and that's what they've done um, since the beginning. Um, and this support continues to this day. We're a member of the International Trappist Association and we get a lot of support from them. We, uh, well, I in particular, um, visit uh, Brussels regularly for meetings, go to the other Trappist monasteries for various um, you know, quality commission, brewery commission, these do kind you, of things. Do you find similar things in each brewery? Are, are you surprised by the differences of, of the way that the, the operation's done? Yeah, so the, there were differences like you would get in any breweries, um, but the ethos is the same and that's yeah. the really important thing. And that's something as we grow, although we've not not plans for huge growth, we don't intend to be the next Chimay Vesmar, mm. um, but we we can learn a lot from how these breweries have managed to scale up but yeah. still keep that, the Trappists um, ethos at, at the core of what they do. Which is work and prayer. Which is work and prayer. And also um, when they founded the um, International Trappist Association, uh, I was I, usually, I was going to say AIT then because in French it's AIT and then in Dutch it's ITV uh, and then in English it's ITA. But when the emails come, it always is, it's French first, then Dutch, then English. <laughs> We're very much the, yeah, the, the younger brothers on it. Yeah. Especially since Spencer, the American uh, member, has closed. So we were the only, uh, we're the only English speaking member now. And there's only 11 in the world now. Is that right? Uh, so that make, um, so you don't have to make beer. You can make, to be part of the ITA, you can make other products. So um, Nazi Pani in, in, in the Czech Republic make chocolate, for example. Yeah. Um, their cheese, a lot of the guys uh, make cheese and beer, but some guys just make the cheese. And um, some there's some nuns in France. Uh, uh, can't remember what the name um, is, but they make um, sort of toiletries like shampoo uh, yeah. and that sort of stuff. Sorry, um, I guess I got distracted. But the the on the brewery side, I think did, did you say there was only eleven in the world? So now? ten now, ten. ten authentic Trappist yeah breweries. Um, so there are some breweries where they don't meet the conditions to be an authentic Trappist product. Okay, um, so Mondecat. Uh, is one um, Cardenia in Spain is another one, and and what that is is in the in the late nineties um, when the AIT was founded, there was 
a that still is to a certain extent a conflation of, of between sort of Trappist beers and what is more widely known as Abbey beers. Mm-hmm. Quite frequently, people will confuse the two and think um, <clears throat> that uh, Trappist beer, you know, is, is a style of beer, and it's not. Um, not anyone can make a Trappist beer. Uh, to so what they did is they brought in the trademark of authentic Trappist products. This is something we're audited every five years. That's one of the jobs of the ITA is to go out to the various monasteries and, and audit to make sure they meet the conditions to be an authentic Trappist product. There's three conditions. The first is it must be, production must be supervised by a monk. So it doesn't have to be done by a monk, mm-hmm. um, but everything must be signed off, supervised. Um, the board of directors of the ITA are all monks. So it can't be lay people. Second, it has to be made on the premises. Now, we have Tint Meadow. Our brewery is actually part of the monastery. It's some of the old, uh, what was the kitchen, the laundry. So it's actually within the, prop, the building itself. But it doesn't have to be. Uh, we could build it uh, under our 200 acres. Um, we could build a purpose-built brewery if we wanted to. Uh, but it can't be down the road. We couldn't make it here, for example, yeah. you know, off-site. Uh, and I believe that's what they do with Cardenia and, and Mondecat, and that's why they're not um, ATP. Uh, and then the third condition is that it goes into the uh, that any profit that's generated goes into the community. So that is the maintenance of the, the brothers themselves, mm-hmm. you know, any of their needs, um, which can be a, a growing bill as, as community ages in particular. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, any sort of for example, a few years ago, we did um, a huge program of works on the building itself to create infirmary rooms downstairs where they had um, en suites, um, hospital beds, underfloor heating, this kind of thing, um, because that was really necessary. Uh, and yeah, so the upkeep of the community, upkeep of the buildings, it's grade two listed buildings, very expensive to do anything mm-hmm. to it, time consuming and expensive. Uh, and then to the order, the wider order. So we've got some very um, good businesses attached to the monasteries in Europe. I was going to say wealthy monasteries, but but that's a bit of a misnomer. I don't want to say that because the, the monasteries themselves are, are, aren't wealthy as such. Um, but we do have some very poor monasteries yeah. in Africa and Asia where numbers are still growing um, in terms of vocations and the number of monks that you get. So subsidies, if you will, yep. flow from the sort of the breweries that produce this this money in Europe to Africa, Asia, you know, South America, all through the world. Um, that's a key point of it. Uh, and then beyond that, um, anything that's left over, if you will, uh, has to go to charity. Yeah. So we make donations to a number of local charities. For example, we pay for like a local football team, disadvantaged kids, Amazing. that kind of thing. Um, and then wider causes. Uh, I referenced Ukraine earlier. You know, we'd donate um, amounts of money to the Red Cross and, and things like this, various aid organisations. Um, and that's really important thing. And and that is something that is so often discussed and brought up at, when we have meetings at the ITA to ensure that we don't lose sight of that as a reason of being, mm-hmm. you know, I know at La Trappe, for example, they have given, uh, or they did, I, I don't know what the situation currently is, but they certainly gave over their guest house to Ukrainian refugees. Amazing. Um, I think 75 of them in there. So, wow. And that's the reason they make the beer. Yeah. You know, it, they don't make the beer to make money to um, 
you know, gild their fabulous buildings. Yeah. It, it, it's not about that at all. Uh, you have to keep them obviously in a functional state. Uh, and they're very much caretakers of these buildings for the future generations of, of monks. Um, but the the real reason they, they brew the beer, they make the money, is to, to do charitable works. So fascinating. Um, so the beer. Mm. Now, for those that haven't tried Tint Meadow, go out and get yourself a bottle. Um, it's amazing. And it's just everything that we've just discussed adds something to it for me personally yeah, yeah, just like, it's just it's so incredible and, and and the beauty of this as well that's kind of captured again in that in that article is just the I, I, I almost want to say the monotony but that <laughs> that would be totally monastic I guess maybe the, the better word. just yeah. the, this it's one beer over yeah. and over again yeah process same bottle same bottle um, but that there's such a beauty in that yeah. as well yeah. and there's a refinement you know and, and we spoke earlier about the fact that some trapeze uh, breweries has do a few different ones West yeah. Flettering yeah. or West Mile uh, but then Oval who've just done the same one for hundreds of years yeah um, so if you could just give us a bit of scope of what the beer is that um, is produced at Tint Meadow yeah so the first and most important thing really is that it's the community's beer so various recipes were developed and tried in the beginning and they the key to this really was that the community approved of it because it's their beer that the the recipe belongs to them Mm -hmm. and they have to be happy with it um so tint meadow that that was finally the recipe as it is now it's finally arrived at was agreed by all of the brothers um when they started there were a number that used uh, more belgian influenced ingredients so you, you know your candy sugar um your uh, Belgian yeasts and the decision was taken quite quickly to use all local ingredients or as local as we could get certainly mm-hmm. all English ingredients uh, to because there was a danger perhaps of creating something which was a poor imitation of those classic Belgian beers um, and, and that's not what they wanted to achieve so they've made something that would be similar to a sort of Trappist Dubel, but with a distinctly English character. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're somewhere between that and a sort of old English ale. Uh, Now it comes in at 7.4%, and then a lot of people would gasp at that and say, gosh, that's strong. But actually when we're talking in in Trappist terms, it's very weak. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, you you generally would start in the 8% range, getting up to 10% Trappel, 12%. I think Vesflater in 12 is actually 12.8. Right. So, you know, you're talking... Uh, and and Belgians wouldn't wouldn't <laughs> bark at that at, at bark at that at all. Yeah, they? I remember because... being in uh, maybe Antwerp or somewhere, and they had two beers on draft, and it was like Golden Drac and Golden yeah, Drac yeah. Extra. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, exactly. Okay, ten percent and twelve percent. Great, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good beer as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and part of that is that the uh, maybe it's the drinking culture as well, but certainly from the Cistercian point of view, they say beer should be um, liquid bread, not coloured water. Interesting. So it should be something that is sustaining, life-giving, rather than something that you chuck down to get drunk. Yeah. Basically. Uh, it's not a session beer. It's not intended to be. It's something to be sipped and enjoyed, savoured. Um, I certainly couldn't see anyone having more than 
two tip meadows in a, in a session, mm-hmm. um, in, you know, in one sitting, uh, and it's not intended for that. We get lots of people this time of year who say, oh, that's my sort of winter Christmas beer. I like to sit by a fire in the evening. That's exactly where that. I had my first bottle by right, the fire right. with my wife and we split it and it was glorious. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's not to say we don't, we, it sells well all year round, yeah. but particularly around this time of year, you know, we increase production in October, September, October, ready for to sell those beers at Christmas. Um, but the... Yes, the the recipe was was really key that the community are involved in that because they they drink it as that's their their table beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it it's not a table beer as such. You know, you go to Orval, um, Vesmal have just Vesmal Extra is based on their table beer, um, and that's the beer that a sort of a, a weaker version that the monks will drink on a daily basis. Now that's up to the abbot, the various monasteries. Um, the decision was taken at Mount Saint Bernard that it would just be drunk on Sundays and feast days. Every monk gets a bottle if they want it. They don't have to have it. Um, so, but they have obviously had to agree on it that they you know, are going to be happy to drink that beer <laughs> throughout the year. And we use all English ingredients. So we, I think really to be considered local, you need to be within 50 miles is the mm-hmm. definition. We couldn't, we couldn't quite meet that to meet the the levels of, of quality that we wanted to, but we we're pretty good. I think last time I checked, we're just under 80 miles Wow! in terms of getting um, the malts, the hops. Um, That's amazing. Your um, yeast, sugar, um, everything is is English. Uh, and, and, and I think that's great. And, and if we could improve on that, you know, wonderful. Um, the water is from our own wells. We have two wells on site in the imaginatively named well field. Uh, and that's every uh, monastery has that. That's really key um, to where you found your monastery. Make sure you've got a water source there. Um, they, I mean, they weren't even on the grid until the 1960s. I think they used to burn coal. Um, Just to, self-sustaining. Yeah, they used to burn coal and make gas from it. Uh, I'm, I don't quite understand how that works, but there are there is a series of the pipes around the um, abbey, which you can see occasionally. And Father Anselm's told me that. Um, now they used to make beer. Uh, the recipe was lost to time. So mm-hmm. we, we rather than trying to create something that we oh, did. So there was a produ- beer production there? There was beer production, yeah. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's references in, in historical documents, in, in books, um, to people coming to the Abbey in the uh, 19th, early 20th century and enjoying the, the beer with the monks. Uh, well, the, the monks would often um, give it to. I think the chimney is in a history of chimney sweeps. There's a wow, reference to it. That's so, yeah, yeah. That's so it was a strong dark yeah. beer that the, the, the brothers uh, made. But uh, and and depending on who you speak to, they'll say, "Oh, the old brewer is here. The old brewer is there." So I'm not sure exactly where it was. <laughs> as such, um, we uh, they also made cider as well um and that's something we've just revived this year oh so you're producing the um, producing cider table. but just for just for the community okay yeah not commercially um, and when you say community you mean the monks yes the, yes yeah, yeah the, when i say community i mean the the brothers yeah. who live there in community with one another yeah yeah um so we produce cider this year because we had a fantastic crop of apples um i mean we sell them uh at our shop um, very cheap as well, very cheap because there's so many of the huge apple trees that have been there, you know, hundred years or more. 
Uh, and obviously, the, the the community at its peak was in the 90s, uh, as in the number of members. I think that was in the 1960s. There was 93, 94 maybe at the peak. And that's been um, steadily decreasing since then. So on, on that note, is there any worry that these places will eventually just disappear? As in, yeah. like, the numbers yeah. are decreasing and, yeah. and the start of that documentary, I mean, mm-hmm. the trailer that I watched is... is it's really moving just in the trailer, but it's the passing of one of the monks. He's uh, right at the end of his life. He's, he's speaking to the camera and then um, there's the kind of, it's his funeral after that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and actually it, brother Paul, who features quite heavily in that, in the documentary, he passed away Okay, as so, well. Yeah. yeah so yeah, it's, recently, it's so. an aging community. It, very much so. Very um, much so. And I guess, it's, it's really strange, isn't it? Because maybe this is going to be this full circle where people actually like, Man, I need to be part of this. I want stillness rather than the mania of. Uh, that's it. I mean, name. I mean, that's the hope. Um, there was. But they a... don't do anything. I guess it's, it's not like a recruitment. No, there's drive. no recruitment drive. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that is a fear. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Absolutely. Uh, and it's. Uh, I, th- I think it's quite a warranted fear. You know, we're living in an increasingly secular Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and the number of people who want to be monks is decreasing. The number of monasteries is the same, um, broadly speaking. So what that means as well is that if you want to be a monk, you can also be choosier. Yeah. I, I suppose 50 years ago, you would go to your local monastery, or if not your local one, certainly one nearby, but, you know, we have members of the community now from, I think, at last count, nine different countries. Wow. So, you know, it's not just, a, it doesn't have to be an English monastery. Now you could certainly join a, a monastery overseas, a Trappist monastery, a Cistercian monastery, a Benedictine. Um, so you can be choosier as well. Um, and, and what you do have throughout Europe is uh, still a great deal of monasteries the vast majority of which have very few monks in them. Mm-hmm. And at 17, okay, we've got an aging community. If you just look at the purely at the numbers, we're actually doing quite well at 17, which is worrying. Yeah, really <laughs> but, worrying. <laughs> um, but you do have a number of monasteries. There's one in France, Set Fonds, uh, Seven Fountains, and that has, I think at last counts, close to 90 still. Okay. So the question there is, you know, why? Yeah. <laughs> is there something specifically they do that attracts people there? Or is that, you, you know, is that just uh, anachronism? Um, so there is a a process going on. Uh, obviously, this is getting more into the, the church side of it. I'm not to do with that as such, although I'm aware of it. Um, but they're trying to figure out why some places are flourishing, mm-hmm. um, but the great majority... And not really are dying if, yeah. we, if we're honest about literally it literally yeah yeah. Passing, yeah and that is a concern when it comes to the the beer angle and the ita and the atp labels because it happened with arkel last year um a famous trappist brewery and they essentially ran out of monks wow so i think there was two of them left uh and they moved into vesmar uh, to be part of the community there which you can't blame them for um, of course, but then that meant that the brewery had no monks supervising it, so it's lost the ATP label. Uh, and this, hopefully not, you know, hope and pray, but it, it could be something that begins to affect a lot more 
uh, monasteries, uh, breweries, you know. Yeah. So monastic breweries. And, and <clears throat> the question there is how do you, how do you deal with it? Um, and also my question is what is, well, the question to kind of you is just like what do you see, why are trapeze breweries so important? Yeah. Because um, it's a hard question to answer, I guess, in a certain way, but it feels like, especially if you're into beer, that it's such an important part of like beer I think culture it's, and faith. I, almost. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the continuity. Yeah. I think that's what it is. They've, you know, always been there in a mm-hmm. sense. And they are guardians of a legacy, a tradition of brewing going back to the Middle Ages um, that, continues to this day which and you know there's a lot of fantastic breweries out there at the moment um breweries like like track are very innovative and and um move with the times and 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 make what uh people want at any one time and also make them what they didn't know they wanted you know (laughs) new and interesting and innovative beers um we're obviously very heavily influenced now in this country by the American beer um, culture, uh, rightly or wrongly, whatever you think of that. Um, but these things will ebb and wane. They'll change. Who knows what's going to happen? But the fact that the Trappist monasteries, breweries have been through all different phases of, you know, um, what's in vogue yeah. beer wise and they're still there just making the same beers like you referenced Orval yeah. earlier you know it's got a uh, I suppose Orval and, and then also Vesflatron have got a f- almost fanatical following <laughs> absolutely yeah I mean Mikkel from Mikkel who's one of the biggest breweries in like a global brand of yeah, breweries yeah. got a Orval tattoo you know it's like yeah that, and that's, that's, an, that's an interesting thing as well isn't it I've had yeah. people message me before and, and say I'm thinking of getting a a Tint Meadow tattoo. What really? You, yeah, yeah, honestly, yeah. What do you think about that? And I didn't really know what to say. Obviously, the it's yeah. it's a strange question to ask the brothers about. They don't understand why you, why you would want that. Um, yeah, it's like a brand. That, it's, yeah, it's but that's, really that's the world we live in, isn't it? Yeah. You, you know, yeah. Um, and I think they have a place in people's hearts. Like, obviously if you're going to tattoo on it yourself, it it holds, it's very dear to you. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that just shows how important it is to people, um, to keep, to keep these places going. Uh, we've, we've lost two recently. Um, I hope we don't lose any more in the near future, but who knows? Yeah. We, we really, I, I, you know, just speaking about all that, I I think if you look at the numbers, there, you only got six or seven monks current, really? currently. Um, wow. I, again, I, I can't, can't speak to their age or anything, and I hope we get some more vacations. But that's a small amount of But it's, it's not many monks, is it? You know, when you're and talking, that beer is world-renowned. Exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. Um, now, what's happened at Arkle is they carry on making the beer. Um, it's not, at the moment, I think they're calling it Trappist beer, but it's not an ATP product. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that's a discussion that's, that's going on. Um but do you lose something by, is it just about the recipe or is it about the way you make it? You know, there's, it there's a question. Is it the divinity, uh, like again, to reference the article, um, or maybe it was a different one, but 
they were speaking to Father Matthias mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, for him, it, God's presence is in everything that he does. Yes, And, and, yes. and he's everywhere. And like making that beer is a, is a, is a prayer in itself. Absolutely. You know, there's, there's something, I mean, I'm a bit and of a romantic. There's something so beautiful about that. And it's blessed. Every yeah. single batch is blessed by a priest. Yeah. Um, now, whether that means anything to you at all is, exactly. is your own. Exactly. But it just, there's something so, yeah, beautiful about that, that whole process and, and the actions that each, yeah. you know, this, this almost ritual rather yeah. than work is, yeah. is and amazing. The, and let's not be, we have to be honest, but also we don't have to be pessimistic. Yeah. A um, hundred years ago, I was told... Um, the numbers were similar at Mount St. Bernard and they were talking about shutting it down. And then there was a huge revival, uh, got up to the highest numbers that had ever been there. Mm-hmm. So who knows? You know? Yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> be surprised if it shot up into hundreds because people suddenly just want to reject the... Uh, yeah, yeah. The, and, the and, and, and there's definitely now. something there I, I got a request. Sadly, we couldn't, we couldn't um, do anything about it because of... Um, what was going on in the community at the, we, at the time last summer. Um, but there was a request from a filmmaker in the United States. And we got, we got dozens of media requests, let me tell you. Um, but it was quite an interesting angle. They were talking about, I think she was from Northwestern University, a student there. And she was saying that um, we live in a secular society, but that the values that are, Becoming coming to the, the the fore and that are appreciated actually are quite monastic values mm-hmm. often. So we talk about sustainability, simplicity, um, the environment, um, the connect, connect having a connection with what you do uh, and make. And um, people talk about like I've referenced earlier about spirituality. Mm-hmm but not in a sort of formalised way, I suppose. Yeah, is it, like is it in the monastery? spirituality. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's and, big. And yeah, yeah, huge. And um, there's there's definitely a, a, a huge interest in the, in the values and the ideals that are espoused um, at the monastery. Um, so I think there is a want and a need for that. Now, whether that translates into people signing up for what is, let's be honest, a, a challenging life uh, okay, you don't have to worry about paying your electric bill, mm-hmm. you know, um, but living in community with um, people that you don't know, <laughs> okay, you'll get to know them, but that is a challenge in itself. Um, they work six days a week. Um, they pray seven days a week. Um, it's a, a, a rigid life it's in many no ways. Small thing, yeah, so no, and, and what we do find now is we do get people who do come, and it takes five. Like I've referenced earlier, it takes five years before your solemn profession, which is when you're considered sort of bound to that monastery, to that to that life more than the monastery actually. Um, and we do get people who come now, but they'll stay for a year, two years, three years, even five years, but then not commit. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think previously, when people did come. Um, they did stay. Yeah. Now I'm not commenting on, you know, whether that's right or wrong. And it, obviously you don't want people committing who, who don't feel they can. You don't want to get, um, the wrong kind of people, I suppose. Uh, it, but it's, even though you'll come, you'll have novices, um, it doesn't mean that you're going to get fully professed monks at the end of it. Yeah. Um, so that is a challenge in itself. 
if I could kind of bring it back in to you yeah. as, as a person who's kind of been a huge, you play a huge role in this brewery, in this place, yeah. but without necessarily all of the faith aspects, the, mon- the monastic yeah. lifestyle. Yeah. But what has it given to you? You know, you, you also spoke, you know, going through like relationships and, you know, mm. the, the, the hard things that life can throw Just at life, us. Just yeah. <laughs> yeah, life can throw at us. It's really, you know, we struggle with. What has it given to you personally? What do you take away from it that, that you think you'll carry, whether you stay at that brewery or, or somewhere else? I think, um, don't sweat the small stuff. <laughs> you know, there's a perseverance attached with the community where... It's not always going to be easy for them, um, but they persevere with their life, mm-hmm. you know. And when I, for example, I've just come back from America um, and I've barely slept in two days. The alarm goes off at eight in the morning. And you're like, oh, I don't want to get out of bed. And I think, well, everyone at the monastery has been out of bed for five hours, <laughs> you know? So it kind of does give you a bit of a kick because <laughs> uh, they're not getting paid for it or anything yeah. as well. Obviously, you know, I don't get paid a huge salary um, because it, it's not the, the kind of place um, to do that. Um, but I do get paid for what I do there. Whereas the monks freely, you know, obviously they get their room and board, if you will, but they freely give their, their time to brewing, bottling, mm-hmm. um, maintenance, these kind of things. Um so it does give you a bit of an impetus. Um, and it helps you to realise uh, that whatever you're at, you, your views are on the religion or spirituality or whatever, um, it, it gives you uh, an idea of something bigger than yourself to be involved in, in, the, in the monastery, in the sort of project of the brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really, it feels meaningful. Um, and it's nice to be able to do what, you know, certainly I consider meaningful work. Uh, and let's say in the worst possible um, outcome that the monastery closes in, I don't know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, that that doesn't mean that it was pointless yeah. working there for that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that helps get, get me out of bed in the morning. And, and then, like I say, I think just the certain things you live living your life outside of the, the monastery walls obviously you come up across uh against problems like anyone does in life and but if you can try to approach it in a more monkish way shall we say uh to in a more calm reflective consider considerate way i think um that you'll certainly in my experience that life just seems a bit better it just yeah. you know why do why do we stress ourselves out about this deadline or that you know um making huge amounts of money or wanting to be seen in a certain light a certain way um these aren't considerations in a, in a monastery and and i think that's something i've really taken into into my personal life uh, and I think we could all learn a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. Lot you said something really interesting as well about your work environment, which is that any stress 
is only caused by yourself. Yes. Like no one is ever going, we haven't sold enough beer or, no, you know, this, no. this has gone down. Why, or, why yeah, hasn't this yeah. been done? It's, it's all. I, I stress real. about that. I, I stress, oh, I hope this order, you know, I've just had a big order come through yeah. um, yesterday and, and I was hoping and praying it would come through and, and it, it did come through. Um, but if it, say it hadn't come through, um, I wouldn't have got any um, backlash from the <laughs> the brothers on that. Yeah, you know, there's they just said, "Well, did you do your best?" And I just said, "Yeah, I think so." And they said, oh, so "That's fine." You know, they probably wouldn't have even said, "Did you do your best?" To be honest, <laughs> thinking about it, <laughs> they just left you in, in silence and, and, and yeah. you work it out yourself. Yeah, I think that's it. And I and I. I like I do stress about it from time to time, but that's I have to remind myself that's me yeah. putting it on myself. I've just come back from been away for a week, and and while I was before I went, I said I'm going to check my emails every morning. You know, if there's any problems, call me. And they sort of said, okay, well, don't worry about it. Why don't you just have a week off? <laughs> you know. Now I did check my emails most days, and I did do work while I was away, but that was very much for myself. Yeah. If I'd have come back and not done anything, no one would have said anything about it. Yeah. You know, okay, I'm not planning on taking the mick, but yeah. I think that's it. You, you've very much just entrusted. And that's something we've recently hired um, a couple of members of staff. And I, I think when I'm trying to explain during the interview process and, and training and stuff that the ethos of the place, it's it's almost like they don't believe you. Mm-hmm. Saying, well, I'll, I'll tell you when I'm going for my lunch. And I'm saying, just take it whenever. That's fine. You've got an hour, you know come back after an hour and five. It's not a problem. As long as you get the work done, it, it's fine. I, I make my own hours. Okay, sometimes I've got to be there for, you know, for bottling sessions, whatever, but, the, you know, the place is open from <laughs> however it's, early in the morning you want to get there till yeah. sort of eight at night. It's, and it, it is trust and it's also respect though, isn't absolutely, it? It's, it's, absolutely. It's, if you're treated with that respect. Yes. And you respect those individuals, then fundamentally... The, the most probable outcome is that you're going to do the work that needs doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because most of us don't want to take the piss. You know? Yeah, like, yeah, like, exactly. And exactly. sometimes it's just the pressures of like someone pushes you and you push back or that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, and, yeah. and and if they, if there's none of that, and to bring it back to the kernel, it sounds like a lot of the time it was just this this respect mm. between each other that there was no hierarchy. It was just a sense of respect for the person who owns it and a respect for each other. That mm. means that you work together and it works. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's not all sunshine and, and rainbows. Sometimes yeah. there are hard decisions that need to be made um, and or I want a certain thing to go a certain way um, and the community uh, decides against that. But that's that's fine. It's, yeah. that's, it's their beer at the end of the day. It's their brewery. Um, I run it for them because they can't do everything themselves yeah uh, and to a certain extent they don't want to um so i'm i'm happy like i was explaining to you earlier i'm the sort of buffer between the outside world and them um and i never feel a attention or a problem in approaching and saying oh, i've got this idea is that okay you know um okay, I might not get a response for a week or two. <laughs> I suppose that's the thing I've gotten used to. Praying on it for a while. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay, well, to bring it back into um, 
your love of beer and beer that you like to drink. Yeah. So I asked this question. It feels a bit bleak after uh, everything we've been talking about, <laughs> but it's, it's this kind of pre-apocalyptic beer, which is basically you're in a bar. Yeah. They can brew any beer that you want them to brew in a second. Yeah. They've got every beer that's ever been made in the fridges. There's a little flicker on the TV in the corner and it says an asteroid's about to hit in an hour and we're all going to be wiped out. And the barman <laughs> steps up and he slaps the bar and he says, what are you drinking? What beer would it be for you? The final beer. <laughs> um, so I suppose people are always a bit um, surprised maybe because they I, I do like a lot of the Trappist beers, um, mm-hmm. obviously, or Val's particular favourite. I think Vesmar Extras, although it's a new beer, I think it's superb. Um, I'm lucky that I get to drink a lot of Vesflatrin, uh, whereas I know a lot of people, certainly in this country, the struggle rare, to get oh man, it. Yeah. Um, but we get as sort of a, as much as we want, really, <laughs> which is is nice. Um, but actually, I'm a big fan of uh, West Coast IPAs, um, nice. New England IPAs as well. Um, so there's a fantastic brewery um, not far from us in Melton Mowbray called Round Corner Brewing. Mm-hmm. Uh, one they've only been open. I think today's their fourth anniversary actually. Um, and we've got to know them really well, particularly in the last sort of 18 months, two years. Um, they make superb beer and they make an excellent West Coast IPA. I really recommend that. Their, their Pale Ale actually won the um, International Beer Awards, the champion um, oh, beer. Oh, wow. Yeah, last year it was, a steeplechase. Um, but I'm actually more of a fan of the West Coast. Um, I think it's 6.6%. Um, but that's... Uh, my sort of when that came straight to my mind when you mentioned that amazing yeah, immediately well we can go with that one um peter thanks so much for doing this man it's been so fascinating i could speak for hours just yeah to, <laughs> just on the faith element uh, yeah. forget that we're actually talking about uh beer but yeah thanks so much for coming and doing this and for bringing us some lovely bottles as well we're going to sample them later absolutely <laughs> awesome thanks to you right, thanks that's it how about that that was pretty special eh? so so interesting i could have spoken to beer for hours and hours about all things not related to beer (laughs) and i hope one day i'll be able to go down and visit that space and i'm sure they'd welcome you too um it sounds incredible i know as peter said they're doing some refurbishments down there for for guest house for people to stay but yeah one day i will i will make the pilgrimage down there um super excited as well because Pete is going to be doing a little event with us at the tap room where we can try a few different Tint Meadow bottles aged um, so you can get a fresh bottle and an older bottle. Anyway, when you were listening to this, maybe it's already happened, maybe it's not happened yet, but if you want to be part of it, make sure you keep an eye out on our Instagrams and things. Anyway, massive thank you for everyone for listening. To Tom Coucher for producing this episode. If you like to share, subscribe, uh, like, all those kind of things, they really help. So thank you so much. We'll be back next week with another episode. But for now, stay thirsty. Stay thirsty.